Hello and welcome to the programme. Well, it's definitely beginning to look a lot like Christmas. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. With just about enough time to dash out or go online to get those last-minute gifts you just haven't got around to finding yet. It's traditional at this time of year for the Mooney Goes Wild team to share some of their ideas for nature-inspired Christmas presents. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. And today, we will not disappoint, because our regular panellists are standing by with a range of suggestions to suit everyone, from the very young to the very old, and all ages in between. So... Pull on your sparkliest seasonal sweater, your nattiest knitted hat and your grooviest yuletide gloves and hop on to the Mooney Goes Wild sleigh because we're going on a shopping expedition into the natural world. Whoa, hold on to your hats, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, this is some ride we're on today. Let me start with Dr. Richard Collins, ornithologist, zoologist, philosopher and regular panellist on Mooney Goes Wild for more than two and a half decades. Now, Richard's Christmas gift and my Christmas gift are kind of one and the same. Let me explain. On the 26th of December, from 11am right here on RT Radio 1, you will hear a very special documentary about Albrecht Dürer, one of the most famous figures of the German Renaissance. A master of many different artistic styles, Dürer is perhaps most renowned for his intricate woodcut prints, an innovative style of art which allowed multiple faithful copies of artworks to be produced from painstakingly carved wooden blocks. Many of Dürer's woodcuts are held in extremely high esteem, but one in particular is probably his most famous of all, a depiction of what was, at the time of its creation in 1515, to the people of Europe, an animal that was almost unimaginably exotic mysterious and fantastical. One could almost say mythical. The woodcut in question is the one known as Dürer's rhinoceros. And that is my special gift to you this Christmas. It's free. Just tune into RT Radio 1 on the 26th of December at 11am. Sit back, relax and enjoy. Now, Richard knew I was going to make this my Christmas gift and he said, perfect, I can add to that. And I said, how come? He said, Chester Beatty. I said, Chester Beatty? Explain. Chester Beatty was an engineer and a collector of antiquities who died in 1968. He was of Irish ancestry on one side. His father's parents were Irish. Now, he was, in fact, the first honorary citizen of Ireland and, I believe, the first such person to get a state funeral here. And what's he got to do with Albrecht Dürer, please? And why are you suggesting this as your Christmas gift to our listeners? To remind people of this extraordinary collection of antiquities, manuscripts, rare books in the Chester Beatty Museum. I think it's a wonderful place to visit. It's a spiritual kind of mystical sort of place. Very soothing, I must say. Now, in among them is a collection of Durer prints, 130 of them, I understand, out of the 300 or so that Durer produced. It is a very fine collection of Durer prints. That's why I thought people should go there because there's always a few on display, about half a dozen of them on display. I popped in recently to have a chat with the curator, Jill Uncle. Welcome, Richard, to the Chester Beatty. We are in one of our two permanent galleries. This one's on the first floor, and it's called The Arts of the Book. And in it, we use our vast collections to look at book production, what goes into the book, manuscripts, prints. And if you can hear, it's quite quiet in here today because we're in a closed Monday, but it's not quiet usually for staff because we use that to do a lot of the behind the scenes work. Because while our collections, we call them permanent galleries, the objects themselves cannot stay on display all the time. They're, they're really sensitive because of the materials to light. So we actually rotate the permanent galleries quite regularly and we used our closed Mondays to do that. And you can probably hear the air conditioning on because we have to keep the temperature cool and the lights really low. Um, we have actually just redone a lot of our lighting so it's, it's, it's a little bit brighter in here although the lights are still at um, really important conservation levels. 
So I know this is what you're here to see, and these are works by Albrecht Dürer, one of the, I suppose, most recognized European printmakers um, from the history of printmaking in Europe. And the Chester Beattie Library has about 125 examples of his works. We generally have examples of them on display in our Arts of the Book Gallery. Not the same ones, of course, but we rotate them because they are such a popular collection um, and a lot of people come to specifically have a look at uh, Dürer's works. Jill, it's wonderful to be here at one of my favourite places in Dublin and a most extraordinary gallery, an extraordinary collection. Now, you have, you say, over 100 Durer prints, but the total collection is only 300 plus, so you have almost a representative collection. It must be one of the best in the world, is it? Um, I know it is a really good representative collection. Um, We have, as you said, about half of his uh, printed works. He was obviously a quite diverse artist, so he did portraits and paintings and altarpieces. And he was also really interested in theory, so he wrote a number of works on human proportion, and we in fact have a copy of that translated into French. We have examples of both his woodcuts and engravings. We have examples of his three master engravings, one of which is actually on display right now, and that is Melancholia, the other two being Night, Death and the Devil, and St. Jerome in his study. And while they weren't created as a trilogy, they are often thought of as three works that go together. And during his lifetime, he often sold two of them, several times actually, as a pair. Agile, but you don't have Durer's Rhinoceros. No, you're right, we don't have Dura's rhinoceros. And of course, it just came down to, I think, what was available when he was looking for Dura prints. Now, we are not necessarily a collecting institution, but it is on my wish list to fill in that little gap there. Um, If one does come up, that is a good enough one to collect. But we do have representations of other animals by Dura. Horses, dogs, the monstrous pig, That's a really popular one as well, but other pigs, of course, with the prodigal son. So there are examples of Durer's representation of animals in the collection. Thank you very much indeed to Jill Uncle at the Chester Beatty and to our own Dr Richard Collins. Details on the website rte.ie forward slash Mooney. Now, one of the coolest nature-inspired gifts around this year has got to be wildflower seeds. You may have noticed the proliferation of public areas where stretches of multicoloured wildflowers have started to appear over the past 12 months or so. And you could be one of the many people who are trying to recreate that same look in your own garden. The World Economic Forum recently published research claiming that the happiest Europeans are those who see the most bird species in their day-to-day life. And as we know, you don't have to be in the countryside to connect with nature. All you have to do is create an environment where you are that consistently attracts the birds and the bees, so to speak. Connecting to nature in Waterford have built a huge following with the blooming native wildflower seeds range they've developed. Botanist and ecologist Aina Nilana headed southeast to do some shopping. So as you can see here now, this is um, our corn cockle. This was harvested at the end of August from our crops. And um, we're getting slowly but surely through this big, big bag of wildflower seed. Well, I'm here in Bally Mountain in Ferrybank in County Waterford with Julie Power, who's the general manager of Connecting to Nature. Now, it's the end of the year, so I'm not out in a field looking at seeds growing because the flowers have all since given their seeds long ago, I've come with Julie into a great big warehouse where there's bags of seeds all over the place. And the first thing I notice when I come in is the smell. The place smells like the hen houses long ago when the hens laid their eggs in in, in hen houses because it's all smells of seeds. Seeds that we obviously fed the hens with for though for though and this whole place smells of the seeds that have been collected and put into bags and I'm here talking to Julie and Julie is a person who's following in a great long tradition of this the company is founded by her great 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 grandfather who way back in the 1800s set up this whole thing Julie is it great to be following in this ever so great grandfather's footsteps 
It's brilliant. I'm delighted to carry on the tradition because I'm a sixth generation now of the family to be in the seed business. Um, so I came back into the family business about two years ago now and um, my passion and interest was a little bit different than the rest of the family. So the family is still in the agriculture industry but my passion was more so in sustainability and in biodiversity. So I stayed with the seeds where the expertise was but I decided that we'd go more um, with the biodiversity side of things. So we set up our production crops with the wildflower seeds and we launched an online website to sell them and they were they were a huge hit so after that I just wanted to find more ways of helping our community get closer to nature and connecting to nature and that's when we decided to launch our wild bird feed range which has been designed specifically for Irish wild birds. So it's really from connecting to nature's point of view there's two strings to this bow there's seeds that birds are fed with wild bird seed of various sorts and then on the other hand it's wildflower seeds that people can plant in their gardens or their lawns or whatever and that's the area that I'm really interested in. So do you grow the wildflowers out in the fields, harvest the seeds and then mix them together? Is that how it works? That's it yeah so we're going back to our roots really and it's um quite an old-fashioned way of um, producing wildflower seeds. It's not all of the modern technologies of the modern agriculture industry. Um, Some of the species are actually collected by hand. You can see this big bag of wildflower seed. You're holding it there in your hand. That's the corn cockle. So we had a great crop of corn cockle this year. We got a great harvest from it. And this was our first year harvesting wildflower seed. So it was really great to see what we could do and achieve. So since then now, we brought the wildflower seed back to the store here and so my colleague Jur he um, works mostly on cleaning the seed and he brings it in and he sieves it and takes out the really big pieces of chaff and then he puts it through this machine that you can see here beside me and that takes out the more small particles that aren't seed and as well it takes out seed that isn't bring corn cockle so we have a really really clean seed at the end of the day we only grow um, Irish native species so it's all of local provenance to Ireland so we choose from that first and then obviously what's going to grow best in Ireland and the beauty about it all being local provenance, it has all come from Ireland, like, and it's always been in Ireland, so it is going to thrive in Ireland. What colour are corn cockles to remind us of? Corn cockle, well, wait till I tell you about corn cockle. They're a beautiful little purple flower, and they actually sadly w- went extinct from Ireland. And Sandro Cofola, a friend, he has a seed plant up in Leash as well, and he actually brought back in the species into Ireland. But because it was reintroduced, it's absolutely no harm whatsoever to be growing here because it's not going to cross-pollinate. Yes, it always was a native plant here until the farmers got cleaner corn seeds and got rid of these, what they call, weeds out of their corn crops. Yes, Sandro, I know Sandro Cofola well. He has been flying the flag for a very long time up in Cretty Yard. And, um, you know, he said all of these kind of wildflower seeds too so it's great to see that this has been such a success and Sandro has been has been ploughing a lonely furrow for years and that you are now taking on the mantle as well so corn cockle is good now not not something that the farmer wants out of his wheat but something that we want in our lawns Exactly, yeah. Um, And then we put our seed mixes together by mixing different species. And we just do that um, after following market research, like uh, what people are wanting. So um, our most popular mixture is our butterfly and bee mixture. And it's such a beautiful mix. I love it. You get a big burst of colour in the first year while you're waiting for the perennials uh, to come through the following year. And yeah, that's definitely been the most popular one. And I'm not surprised, you know, it says it in the name butterfly and bee mix. It's a really high nectar mix so that means it's going to attract in loads of butterflies and bees. I am now going to buy this Christmas present and it's actually wrapped up in a lovely card saying Merry Christmas and there's a robin with a Christmas hat on him on the cover and it says may your Christmas be be the believe merry and bright and inside in my card because it's a big fat card there is an envelope containing all the seeds so I am greatly delighted with this and I get it and I am charmed but it's Christmas Day. I'm not going to be doing much with this on Christmas Day. I'll put the I'll put the card up on the mantelpiece. So now take me through it. I know I live in a house with oh gardeners, let us say, a lawn at the front, a lawn at the back. We mow the lawn oh as often as possible. Now how am I going to go from that lawn to do something with the mix that I have been so kindly given as a Christmas present? And how am I going to bait my husband into letting me get rid of the lawn and do this? 
Yeah, so um, sowing wildflowers and growing wildflowers is quite simple, but you do have to follow the instructions. I know that there's um, a misconception out there that you can just throw the wildflower seeds up into the air, let them land down on the grass, and then, like, voila, you have a big patch of wildflowers. It's not quite like that, but it is simple. It's, I say it's like baking a cake. If you follow the steps, you'll get it right. So what are the steps? Um, so you need to sow the wildflower seed onto bare soil. And when I say bare soil, I mean nothing growing there. So no grass, no weeds, no other plants. You need to remove those. So if you rotate the soil, you can do that. And by creating a stale seed bed, and then um, we advise starting this process at least a month in advance of sowing. So then when it comes to sowing the seeds in either spring or autumn, when all um, chances of frost have passed if you're sowing in spring, you'll have a bare seed bed and you're going to give your wildflowers the best possible chance to grow. So there's going to be no competition for them at all. If you leave the grass there and the weeds and the other plants, your wildflowers are not going to be able to get access to sunlight and then they're also going to have to compete with those more dominant species, Grass is a much more dominant species than wildflowers is and they are already going to have their established root network and then the wildflowers are going to find it really, really hard to germinate. So I can't stress that enough, like creating a bare seed bed uh, for sowing your wildflower seeds. But you know, you don't even have to go and remove your whole lawn. Often what I recommend for people to do if they're doing a really large area is to either create strips, garden borders or islands throughout your meadow. And that is also um, quite a cost-effective way of creating a wildflower meadow. Over time, with the correct management, the wildflowers will become more widespread throughout the meadow. So wildflowers go to seed uh, at the end of every summer, and um, those seeds will disperse, and they will grow throughout the meadow. And if you continue every autumn to cut the grass back to about 7 centimetres in height, you'll give chance for those other wildflowers to establish. And then another way that you can do it without um, removing the whole entire lawn is you can actually sow them into pots and um, they'll bloom into a big burst of colour after about eight to ten weeks if you're using annuals. And, you know, even that pot of wildflowers, while it's going to bring us so much joy, it's also going to contribute to the bee corridors in Ireland. And that means that the bees can hop from one food source to another and make their way out to um, the farms and pollinate the foods out there. And then eventually we'll have an apple to eat or lots of different vegetables. So... This is a wonderful gift to give somebody for Christmas, Derek. So don't mow, let it grow, it's all very well, but you can augment it by having these lovely seeds and they're so nicely packed for, for, for Christmas. Are they expensive? I mean, you know, what would I pay for a nice packet of Bloomin' Natives or for a Christmas card, with a, this Christmas card here with the robin on it now and a big packet of seeds inside? Yeah, so it depends on what you're um, buying. So we sell wildflower packets for as little as four euro, a card with some wildflower seed in it. A pack of four is 15 euro. And then there's lots of different pack sizes that you can get. Yeah, and then we have our gift boxes as well, actually. So you can do lots of fun little activities with them, whether it's a kid gift box to educate your kid and in a really fun way and introduce them to biodiversity and wildlife. Or we have ones for adults as well. So a wildflower starter kit. So start your own wildflower garden and it comes with a really pretty little trowel. And my favourite uh, gift set, actually, because I'm quite a creative person, is um, our grow and press kit. And that is... 40 euro so it comes with everything you need to grow a wildflower garden and then to collect the wildflowers and then to press them and then display them so in that box there's um, biodegradable pots there's a few packets of wildflower seed and um, there's a flower press there's two floating frames to display the wildflowers in and um, so that's a really good one and already quite a popular one which I'm not surprised about I knew it as soon as I saw that flower press I was like I need one of those <laughs> Well, it sounds like that's all Santi needs to bring for Christmas this year. Wildflower seeds for everybody. And if Santi doesn't deliver the goods on Christmas Eve, well, maybe Granny might bring it along on her visit on Christmas Day or whatever. So no excuses. Plant your wildflower seeds and the birds and the bees will thank you for it in 2022. And I'm thanking you, Julie, for this lovely interview. And I'm going over here now to put my hand into that great big bag of corn and cockle seeds. I've never seen so many in my life. Well, thank you for coming down to visit me. I'm delighted to show you around the place. Thank you, Aina. And if you want a gift box that supports biodiversity this Christmas, you know what to do. 
Full details on our website, rte.ie forward slash Mooney. It's the most wonderful time of the year. I have to say, I really do love this programme because it really does give good ideas on how you can help your environment and have fun and enjoy yourself at the same time. Next up, it's the Mooney Goes Wild reporter, Terry Flanagan. Terry is a biologist and a former secondary school teacher. He taught at Moyle Park College in Dublin for more than four decades. But now he's just about to celebrate his first Christmas in retirement. Congratulations, Terry. And a big round of applause, please. Thank you very much. Terry, you're retired, but you're still working for us at any rate. We've kept you busy. Yes, you have. And it's great to be busy. It's different, I can tell you that. It's uh, this time last year, I'd been prepared for exams and going 100 miles an hour. Now it's much more relaxed and it's much more enjoyable. I can tell you that. You should think about it yourself, Derek. (laughs) Oh, is that a suggestion or a hint? Anyway, it doesn't matter. Terry, Christmas gifts. Yes, well, it's not always easy picking a present for someone special, hoping that they like it and and get good use from it as well. And of course, with the pandemic this year, it's not easy to get out and buy one either. So I've concentrated on presents easily sourced online and ranging from about €20 up to about €200. Now, the listeners needn't be getting a pen and a pencil out because it's all on the website. So just sit back, listen to what we're saying and then maybe have a look at the website. First of all, for the younger members of the family, what about a hedgehog house? CJ Wildlife supply them for under €25 and there's no setting up to them. Just pop them out in the garden and cover them with leaves and that's it. Next, for someone interested in wildlife and maybe art, I came across an Irish website, John Rooney Art, and they produce a large number of hand-illustrated educational posters and prints. And I particularly liked their Wildlife of Ireland and Birds of Ireland prints in both English and Irish. And they cost between 30 and 50 euros. Or maybe you might want to spend a little more. You could go for a bat detector. These range from about 80 euros or so upwards. Great for evening walks, say, along the canal. You might want to join Bat Conservation Ireland. And if you do, you can get discounts off the list of suggested suppliers on our website and the website of Bat Conservation Ireland. And finally, you might want to go for a moth trap. I'd really like one of these. You'll remember last year, Derek, that the Mooney Goes Wild programme was involved in the biodiversity audit in the Oris. And I spent a lot of time with a team there. One group of species surveyed was the moths. There are over 1,300 different species in Ireland. And during the summer, I tagged along with Ferdia Marnell from the National Parks and Wildlife Service and Dr. Evan Gochran and Collie Ennis from the Zoology Department in TCD to learn some more. What's this one here? You, you want to get this? This one here? Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, that's the one I was thinking. Oh, wow, yeah. What a spot. Very, so very that is a gorgeous looking. They are pretty, aren't they? Yeah. Sorry, now it's about five of them that look identical. Okay. Ah, brilliant. <laughs> but I think one of them. Is this one of these ones where we'll have to inspect the genitalia? Uh, well. <laughs> so, Ferdy, you've just gone through your three trap boxes. Are you happy? Uh, a bit disappointed, um, but it's the first session now, so yeah. it was. Um, I mean, to get a proper audit here, you'd need to come back at least once every couple of weeks, right through the year, ideally, because yeah. there are moths that'll turn up in December that are gone by February. You know, so we've picked up a good baseline, but I'd expect there to be a lot more moths hanging around here. We just need to come back and try again. When we left last night, the last thing you said was maybe twenty-five or thirty species. I know yeah. you're only just topping them up, but do you think have you hit the twenty-five or thirty? I don't think so. No, we've a few that have to be identified so um, there's some micro moths so there's the small moths mm-hmm. which take a bit of identification so you need a hand lens or what we have been doing is we've been taking photographs and then sort of zooming in on the photographs but you need a good book and usually the backup of an expert to be really confident about the identifications for the micros so give us a, a ballpark figure i know you haven't added them all up yet but you, are you talking about 20 different species tonight yeah, if we can identify all the micros, and sometimes that's very hard to do without actually d- dissecting them, then we probably are up about 20, yeah. But in theory, I mean, in a state like this, that's as big as this, and that has so much variety of habitat, we should be, you know, we should be w- well over 100 species. Now, that might have been a disappointing haul for an expert like Ferdia, but to the rest of us, with a moth trap, that would be a great haul. And I should say, no moths are harmed or injured in the process. They are all released in the morning. 
Moth traps start at about 100 euros, but there are loads of videos on YouTube explaining how you can make a trap yourself. And of course, you can start with a very basic one, a white sheet draped over a line and a torch. And all the details of these suggestions can be found on the Mooney Goes Wild website. And that's rte.ie forward slash Mooney. Thank you very much indeed, Terry. We'll be hearing from Niall Hatch shortly, who will have some great gift ideas for book lovers. But first, let's hear from physiotherapist Jenny Brannigan, an old friend of Mooney Goes Wild. Halfway up the stairs is an award-winning children's toy gift and bookshop in Greystones in County Wicklow. Wait a minute, that's also the title of my favourite Muppet song ever. In fact, I still sing it to my niece, Avine. Hello, Avine, who happens to live in Bray in County Wicklow. Halfway up the stairs isn't up and isn't down. It isn't in the nursery, it isn't in the town. And all sorts of funny thoughts run round my head. It isn't really anywhere, it's somewhere else instead. Anyway, Jenny went along to Halfway Up the Stairs in Greystones to get some great reading recommendations for the children in our lives. Thanks, Derek. Well, they say that size isn't everything. And that's certainly true of Halfway Up the Stairs, which is situated almost on the beach here in Greystones. It's a lovely, cosy spot, absolutely chock-a-block full of beautiful children's books. And I'm joined by the owner, Trish Hennessy. Hi, Trish. Merry Christmas to you. Thanks a million, Jenny. It's absolutely lovely to have you here and Merry Christmas to you too. Trish, I know what the Muppet reference is in the name of your shop, but why did you choose it? There's a really lovely poem by A.A. Milne called Halfway Down. Halfway down the stairs is a stair where I sit. There isn't any other stair quite like it. It's not at the bottom, it's not at the top, but this is the stair where I always stop. And I always thought it just reminded me of a a lovely time in my life where I used to sit halfway up the stairs reading books. So I thought it'd be a perfect name for the shop. That's gorgeous, Trish. And you're doing a roaring trade here today. And of course, having to manage the numbers carefully for everyone's safety. And there are so many titles to choose from, but we've given you the unenviable task of choosing some of the best books about the natural world to recommend to us. So what have you come up with? So the first book I've come up with is called Animal Crackers by Sarah Webb and Alan Nolan. It's a lovely little mini encyclopedia about nature and animals a lot of them from Ireland, with little activities, facts, puzzles. It's a really, really nice, small little book that would be suitable for kids from age 7 right up to about 12. Really, really good book. The next one I've chosen is an absolutely beautiful new book called A Field Guide to Leaflings. And it's by Owen Churcher and Neve Sharkey, who is an ex-laureate Nanogue. It's an absolutely gorgeous picture book where the leaflings introduce us to the different creatures that live in the trees. It's got lots of facts, lift the flaps, amazing little mini books, fabulous illustrations. It's a really beautiful gift and it's one of our books of the year. And I've also selected Wild Child by Dara McAnulty. Dara is a teenager from Northern Ireland who has just created the most beautiful book full of poetry, amazing illustrations by Barry Falls. So this book is a journey through nature where Dara takes us through his observations around the natural world. And it's interjected with beautiful illustrations, poems, facts, observations and activities like, for example, pond dipping, which looks fascinating. Pond dipping sounds perfect for any child that I know. Trish, how important are illustrations to the storytelling? Illustrations are absolutely key for a children's book, especially for reference books about nature. They bring the book to life, they help the children understand the world around them through art. And in a book, for example, like Wild Child, the illustrations by Barry Falls are an integral part of the book. Each page is full of incredible drawings of creatures, animals, trees. It's so colourful, it just brings the book to life. And kids nowadays are keenly aware of issues around climate change and the effect it's having on wildlife and the natural world. So I assume there are no shortage of books addressing those themes, Trish. 
There are absolutely loads of books at the moment that are giving both facts and stories addressing climate change. So I know the children are going to talk about two of the books, but I'd also like to mention a book called The Last Bear by Hannah Gold, which is based in the Arctic Circle, where a girl meets the last polar bear. And through books like this, children can really learn about the impact of our behaviour on the climate and hopefully it'll make a lasting impression on them. Derek, I've brought along two expert children's book reviewers who I know extremely well. First, my son Jamie, who's 12 years old. Jamie, you read A Short Hopeful Guide to Climate Change by Oshin McGann. Can you tell us about it now? Well, it tells the story of how humans have lived and how we have affected the Earth on our few hundred thousand years on the planet. It tells the story of humans and how we have nearly destroyed the Earth for resources and to advance our culture and civilization. But this has had major tolls on the planet's health and ecosystems, as now we are facing climate change and extinctions of many big animals and stuff. Um, Half a century ago, the oil companies had scientists who were telling them about the effects of climate change and how they could do to avoid it and just kind of stop it happening. But the big like people in charge of those companies didn't listen because it's much more profitable for them if they just keep going along with what they've been doing. And they probably reassured themselves by saying that the scientists just wanted to get them out of business and stuff. I think that's a really astute observation from Jamie. I think it's brilliant that a child at the age of 12 can pick up so much from Oshin's book. And it's really reassuring to see that the book is hitting a nerve and reaching its, its audience with the uh, intention of informing them all about climate change. What I love about the book is that it is a short, hopeful guide. And I think that's really important for children to have hope about the future of the planet. Derek, I also have my nine-year-old daughter Holly with me. She is a great reader. Holly, you read Remarkable Creatures, A Guide to Some of Ireland's Disappearing Animals by Aga Grandovitz. Tell me, did you like this book? I love this book because it shows how human activity is affecting animals and we need to find a way to stop that by not polluting our waters to help the environment, to be more careful on roads, to stop cutting down trees and to stop poisoning. Wow, that's a great list of actions that we can be taking. And can you tell me a little bit more about one or two animals that are disappearing, Holly? My favourite three animals that were disappearing are the great yellow bumblebee, the golden eagle and the barn owl. And um, the great yellow bumblebee is disappearing because of loss of rich flower habitats due to change in farming methods and the golden eagle is um, going endangered because it was and it was already extinct in Ireland before and it was reintroduced in in 2001 and now it is endangered again and it's endangered because of poisoning, hunting, persecution and loss of and lack of food and the barn owl is endangered because um, of lo- because of poisoning and um, loss of nesting sites and roadkill. And do you and your friends talk about this problem of disappearing animals, Holly? Um, me and my friends, we talk about um, the disappearing animals a lot in school because we all love animals and we will be really sad if all the animals are gone in Ireland and because if, because if we do everything good to protect the animals, then we can be happy because we know that the animals are safe. Because don't animals just want to live in peace like you and me? Holly, you're absolutely right. I couldn't have said it better myself. Trish, for the kids of 2021, what would you say to get them to put down their gadgets and get off their screens and choose a book to stop them halfway up the stairs? We always say that there is a book for every child out there. They just need to find the hook, find what it is that really grabs them. There is absolutely a book for everybody out there. Trish, thank you so much for having us here today. Merry Christmas. Thanks so much, Jenny. It's been really lovely having you all here. Halfway down the stairs is a stair where I sit. 
Just love it, Kermit's nephew, Robin the Frog from The Muppet Show there, ending Jenny Brannigan's report. Thank you very much indeed to Jenny and family. I'm joined now by fisheries scientist Ken Whelan. Ken is a man whose passion for and expertise is in all things marine. His interest particularly in salmon has taken him literally all over the world to all sorts of fascinating places. Ken, before we start in earnest, were you a fan of The Muppet Show? <laughs> oh, Derek, my, my kids absolutely, completely love Loved it. Uh, Miss Piggy was the was the big hit in our house, so that really that really brought me back. There's no doubt about it. So, Ken, we're coming to you today in search of adventure. Tell us more. People tend to think of adventure in the context of some of the uh, reports I've given you over the years. I've been very fortunate, as you know, to travel to very exotic places, and I've really thoroughly enjoyed that. It's part of my DNA, I think. But um, certainly in the last year or so, I've seen a very very interesting trend, and I think people should pick up on this because I've seen a lot of our guides in Ireland suddenly realise that the fact that people were having staycations and the fact they were looking for adventure, that they needed to actually be much more embracing in terms of the offerings that they had available. And I know of several angling guides now who are taking out people birding, they're taking out people looking for wildlife adventures on the islands. And also in the context, say, for example, Loch Corrib, where my good friend Frank Costello has been doing this for quite a number of years. If you have 44,000 acres of Loch Corrib and you're out there on a windy day, it's every bit as exciting as being in a raft going down a big river in Chile. So I think there are great opportunities there and I think people should start contacting the local guides and actually make a suggestion to them. What would you like to do? Because I think there's fantastic opportunities there that we hadn't even thought of before, both in terms of our rivers and our lakes. Now, you suggest we get a multi-lens pack for our smartphones. Yeah, the multi-lens pack really uh, made a huge difference in terms of uh, my adventures over the last 12 months or so. And uh, the the pack that um, I use is a pack called Liron, which I got as a present last Christmas. And the difference it's made is absolutely fantastic. So you have macro, which is very important for me in terms of looking at uh, insects. There's actually a little telephoto lens in it. There's all sorts of little lenses. And it's so, so simple to use. You just clip them onto the smartphone and suddenly, because of the quality, the cameras that we now have in our smartphones, it suddenly produces really first-class images. And if you're interested in recording various animals and plants and you have a link in at all with the Biodiversity Centre who are doing a great job down there in Waterford, this is an ideal way of actually recording, for example, uh, butterflies, recording various plants. And from a management perspective, in terms of recording the spread of some of the invasive species, uh, this has made everything so, so much easier because... There's nothing worse for a professional than to get a really, really poor photograph. And it's a really important question that's being asked. Is this an unusual species? Is this a particular invasive species? And you really can't tell because the photograph is blurry. So I think those very simple sort of additions to your iPhone can make a huge difference. Now, keeping everything dry and safe, Ken, you're going to be on a boat, maybe you're going to be by the lake. How do we do it? Well, I've, I've tested this <laughs> quite unexpectedly. I've tested this in New Zealand. So I, have, for the last four or five years now, I've always had um, a backpack that is one of these rugged backpacks that's totally waterproof. And the great thing about the really good outdoor backpacks is that they float. So if you're stupid and you're like me and you overstretch trying to get a silly fly back out of a tree and you end up floating down a river in New Zealand, as I did, um, the pack actually floats with you. And if you disentangle yourself from the pack, you can pick it up later at a shallow part in the river. And all of my good equipment, I had my big camera with me on that particular occasion. All my equipment was inside, my iPhone and so on was inside the pack and it was absolutely safe. So if you're going to go for those outdoor adventures, if you're going to go anywhere near water, whether it's fresh or salt water, do try and make sure that you have a waterproof pack. They're not that expensive now and they're really good quality. 
Well, Ken, thank you very much indeed. Details of Ken's suggestions for your Christmas gifts can be found on our website along with the rest, rte.ie forward slash Mooney. I know it's a little bit early, Ken, and people will probably be screaming at the radio, but I want to wish you and yours a very happy Christmas. Thank you very much, Derek, and to you and your family as well. There goes Ken Whelan. Thank you, Ken. Happy holidays. Happy holidays. While the merry bells are ringing, may your every wish come true. Happy holidays. Now, next up, it's Niall Hatch, Development and Public Relations Officer with Birdwatch Ireland. Recently, our producer Anna Leddy met up with Niall at the Birdwatch Ireland shop in Kilcool in County Wicklow. Yes, thank you, Derek. It's really all quite a buzz. It's very busy here at the moment, isn't it, Niall? Yes, Anna, it certainly is. And you're very welcome into the midst of all this chaos because Christmas is coming and it's like Santa's grotto in here. So my colleague Jim is packing all the orders, getting them out to make sure that everyone gets their, their Christmas present. Uh, and yeah, it's a busy time for us. And obviously as a charity, it's a really important source of income for us too. So Niall, maybe we'll start with books. What's on offer? We have a huge number of books here, new ones all the time, and I'm a real book nerd. So at home, my house is just full of bookshelves and, and I'm always looking for new releases. But there's still some perennial favourites that I always go back to. So I always say that uh, anyone who's interested in, in wildlife, and especially in birds, really needs to have a good field guide dealing with the birds of Ireland. So there's two that I would highly, highly recommend. And both have strong connections to Mooney Goes Wild because people will definitely know the authors. So we have The Birds of Ireland, A Field Guide by Jim Wilson and with photographs by Mark Carmody. And that's a wonderful field guide based on photographs. And the other one that I would very much recommend is a book called The Complete Field Guide to Ireland's Birds. That's by Eric Dempsey and with illustrations by Michael O'Cleary. This is a, a field guide based on paintings. Uh, some people prefer photos, some prefer paintings. So I would recommend this too. It's a really, really good book, really detailed detailed range maps in this one showing you where the birds occur and also the time of year when they occur too so it's really helpful uh, what I'd recommend though is don't just get one get both you'd be happy with both of them both excellent products and what have you got that's maybe newer to the bookshelves this year there's one that we're very proud of uh, a wonderful book called the natural history of cape clear from 1959 to 2019 maybe a bit specialized for for, for some listeners but i would highly recommend that anyone who's interested in irish islands uh, interested in birds and monitoring would really appreciate this as a gift uh, it's written by steve wing who's our cape clear bird observatory warden here in birdwatch ireland he's based down there the southernmost inhabited part of ireland just off the cork coast and this is a real labor of love steve has spent a lot of effort and a lot of expertise in has gone into this book giving all the records of the birds that have occurred over the years and all the other natural history on the island too. It's been a, a natural laboratory for, for decades where naturalists have gone there to study and research the wildlife and so I would highly recommend it. So anyone who's interested in islands or wildlife, this is one for you. And not all about the birds, of course. Here in Birdwatch Ireland, we always talk about being about birds plus. You can't just protect birds in isolation. We're really into our insects and, and our mammals and also into our plants and especially our flowers. So it's an absolutely wonderful book. It's the second edition of a wonderful field guide called The Wildflowers of Ireland, a field guide by Zoe Devlin. Uh, anyone who has ever seen a plant growing, a flowering plant, and has wondered, what's that? How can I tell what it is? This book will tell you. The beauty of this is that it's written very much from an Irish point of view. And I think that's really important when it comes to, to plants or indeed to birds or all sorts of wildlife. There are lots of books out there dealing with the wildlife of Europe or the wildlife of Britain and Ireland in brackets afterwards or something. Ireland is quite different in many senses. And if, of course, we have, we have some species that, that uh, are found only here, but there's many species they might have in Britain that we don't have. It can be overwhelming to try to go through a bigger field guide. So I'd recommend uh, particularly this Wildflowers of Ireland field guide and the ones I mentioned from, from, from Jim and Eric as well. They deal specifically with Ireland. I find that's a real advantage. I'm looking over towards the bookshelf and I see something there that references the Dawn Chorus. Is that something that's dear to our hearts on Mooney Goes Wild now? Yes, I, I couldn't let the Christmas gifts special go past without mentioning the Dawn Chorus. So it's not the time of year for the Dawn Chorus, but you can at least get a flavour of it uh, through this, this, some of these special books that we have. We actually have a lovely range of books They're called The Little Book of, and they have bird sounds in them. So this one I'm holding in my hand is The Little Book of the Dawn Chorus. It has a lovely picture of a robin on it. Uh, obviously aimed mostly at children. It's a very child-friendly format, nice big sturdy pages I actually know quite a few adults will get a kick out of this as well and it has a built-in sort of digital chip in it that when you push the button it'll play the songs of the birds so let's see Anna from all of your, your work on the Dawn Chorus program over the year any idea what this one might be? Is that a Is that a blackbird? The first bird we hear on the Dawn Chorus? Spot on, absolutely. That's the blackbird. Um, here's one of my favourites. This is the yellowhammer, a bird that they say sounds like it's saying a little bit of bread and no cheese. Now, I don't think that's true, but here's what it sounds like. Is 
little bit of bread and no cheese. Um, here, here's a, here is a Skylark, one of the finest singers that we have. Lovely. And uh, I couldn't leave out the Wren, one of the finest singers we have, one of the loudest stars of our dawn chorus here in Ireland as well. And uh, just to say as well that, of course, here in Bordeaux Charn, we also have things like Christmas cards. We have an Irish bird's calendar. All of these things help to support our work as a charity. And another thing we'd love people to think about for Christmas is giving gift membership of Birdwatch Ireland as a Christmas present. It's great for children particularly or for families. You get a magazine called Wings that comes out to you four times a year. There's a children's magazine called Bird Detectives. You get a lovely welcome pack full of posters. You get to go to loads of events all over the country. Um, so I really would hope and recommend that people would, would take us up on that offer as well. Looking around the shop, obviously there are tons of bird feeders. Yes, throughout the year actually, bird food and bird feeders would be our biggest sellers. A lot of people buy religiously from us. And uh, when it comes to feeding birds in your garden, or indeed on your patio, or your balcony, even your window box, variety is really the key. The more different types of food you put out, the more different birds you'll attract in. So I would always recommend starting with peanuts and having a peanut feeder. That works really well. You'll almost certainly pretty quickly get blue tits and grey tits coming to feed on that. Uh, robins will hopefully feed on that as well. Uh, and, and some finches will come into it, like chaffinches, they like them very much. Okay, so my husband keeps saying to me, why don't we get a bird feeder? And I'm very nervous about this because there is a child in our house with a nut allergy. We would like to have a bird feeder, so what should I do? Obviously, nut allergies can be very serious. So I would recommend then not using peanuts. And you can actually replace those with a product called sunflower hearts. So they're basically pre-shelled sunflower seeds. And every bird loves those. They, they eat them in big numbers. There are no allergy risks um, to, to people who have nut allergies, at least, with those. So I definitely recommend that. Steer away from the peanuts. Use sunflower hearts instead. And also, birds can eat lots of, of table scraps, things that we would eat too. And uh, you can enjoy the birds allergy-free in your garden. Great. That's another Christmas present ticked off the list now. We're doing well here. Okay, what else have we got? I'm looking over here, again with, uh, with the kids in mind, at the world's best bug viewer. That's one of my favourites too, and you don't need to be a kid to enjoy that. I suppose it looks like a bit, a bit, a bit like a little plastic pot, um, but it has a lovely magnifying glass in the top of it, so it allows you to catch a creepy crawly, maybe a spider or a fly or anything you like, a snail. You pop it in there and you can close it up. It's nice and safe. There's air holes so the creature can breathe, and you can then examine it uh, using the lens in the top of it nice and safely, and then when, you're, when you've done with that, you can just release it back out into the wild and no harm done. And uh, there's also um, all sorts of, we have a thing called a mega lens, another great uh, device for, for children a big magnifying glass all sorts of information about how to research and look into insects particularly I think uh, you know what we're often called mini beasts these wonderful little creepy crawlies we have around our gardens they are so fascinating their lives are, are just astonishing uh, every bit as interesting as anything on any television documentary about you know the, the sub-Saharan Africa or the Amazon rainforest it's all happening in our gardens and if you give children the tools to observe that themselves see what the ants get up to what the caterpillars do it makes a huge difference so I'd highly recommend some of these these gadgets for the kids all right I'm not going to put you on the spot about prices because we'll have all of them on our website afterwards now but I'm guessing they're at the lower end of the scale there but toys for adults there are some really amazing looking binoculars and things behind me over here tell me about those that's probably my favourite section of the shop. Yes, the optical equipment, it's, it's very important for anybody who really gets more into nature watching, I suppose. And I would say that if anyone ever asked me, what's the one thing that I could get that would make a big difference to my enjoyment of nature? It's a good pair of binoculars. And notice that I said a good pair, because unfortunately on the market there are quite a few ones that are cheaply produced. They won't last very long. But also, if they're optically poor, they can actually strain your eyes. They don't feel great. And people will stop using them. So binoculars shouldn't be a chore to use. They should work perfectly for you. All the different models that we stock here in the shop. We've tried and tested every single one of them. We stand over them. We, we stock um, binoculars mainly from two main manufacturers, one called Optocron, another one called Hawk. And they're really high quality. Uh, they'll last you for years and years. And there's a big range of prices as well. Um, so they start at 110 euros, the binoculars. They go up to about 500 euros. For our telescopes, they go from just under 200 euros up to about 900 euros. So there's something there for every price point. Um, but just to, to, to assure you, whichever one you went for, you won't be dis disappointed with it. It makes a big difference. Now, there's so much to choose from here and people can go to your website and, uh, and order online for you. Before we finish, I just wonder, for someone, either adults or children, who have not had a huge interest in nature today, the one thing that you would suggest that they do over the Christmas break, what would it be? 
Well, the thing that I would suggest is something that costs nothing at all, and that would actually be to take part in Brother Charlin's uh, Irish Garden Bird Survey. It makes a huge difference to people's understanding of birds. The data that we gather as a conservation charity is absolutely vital. But most importantly, it's really, really fun. When you have a task to complete, such as completing a survey form over a period of several weeks, it focuses the mind in a way that just casually observing birds doesn't. So you learn a lot about them. It's a wonderful activity for the whole family and children in particular are really, usually really take to this in a big way. And so I definitely would recommend that. And if you couple that with feeding the birds in your garden, perhaps then taking a walk around your local neighbourhood, going to some other habitats, maybe there's a pond near you, maybe there's a lovely woodland, seeing how the birds there differ from the ones in your own garden. Uh, and before you know it, you'll be flying, if you pardon the expression, you, you absorb this knowledge without even realising it. So that's definitely what I recommend. Over the Christmas holidays, if anyone is stuck at home or you know is looking for an activity to do, they're, they're, they're sick of all the chocolates and all the turkey sandwiches, um, you can help take part in the survey and learn more about the birds and help us to protect them as well. Now, thank you very much and Merry Christmas. And a very Merry Christmas to you too, Anna, and thanks for coming down. Thank you very much indeed, Niall, and to all of the staff at Birdwatch Ireland for all their hard work throughout the year, and indeed to all of the non-governmental agencies who do their best for wildlife. Perhaps you might consider contributing to or joining an organisation this Christmas. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. Thanks also to Aina Nilana, to Richard Collins, Terry Flanagan, Ken Whelan and Jenny Brannigan, to our broadcast coordinator, Jarleth Holland, our researcher, John Bell O'Reilly, and today's producer, Anna Letty. I'll be back at the same time next week with a fascinating programme about the Christmas tree. Until then, goodbye. Soon the bells will start And the thing that'll make them ring is the carol that you sing right within your heart It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas Toys in every store But the prettiest sight to see Is the holly that will be On your own front door Sure it's Christmas once more. Email Mooney at RTE.ie.